Welcome to the Small Business Wake-Up Call, the twice-weekly podcast that will open your eyes to the kinds of insights you can use to better run your business. Come have your morning Joe with hosts Lonnie Shambi and Stan Simpkins, who have the right recipes and ingredients to easily help you cook up a storm for even your toughest competitor. No lectures, no wasting your time telling you how smart they are, and no bullshit. The Small Business Wake-Up Call is going to make you think, laugh, and help you recognize how much money you've been leaving on the table with advice that'll help you improve your quality of life. Lonnie and Stan are small business veterans who will share their individual war stories and experiences, not only from their own businesses, but also from guiding hundreds of other small business owners in over 100 industries. Head on over to sbvirtualroundtables.com where you can connect with Lonnie and Stan and save yourself some headaches. Grab that second cup of joe, or maybe something a bit stronger, and let's see what's on the menu for today. Welcome to the Small Business Wake-Up Call. Here are your hosts, with cups in hand, Lonnie Shambi and Stan Simpkins. Well, good morning from my partner in crime and good friend, Lonnie Shambi. I'm Stan Simpkins, and welcome to all of you to another podcast episode of Small Business Wake-Up Call. Now, in today's episode, we cover a subject that makes some owners uncomfortable, or better yet, might inspire you. It's something that most small business owners have no problem with, so long as it's about their employees. But when it comes to themselves, some get pissed at the question, who holds you accountable in your business? Stan, there's no end to articles, webinars, blog posts, podcasts, even our own, that talk about accountability, what it consists of, how to make it work, etc. But at the end of the day, Who holds you, the owner, accountable? Probably just the person looking back at you in the mirror. How honest are you with that person? We're talking about not just other people, but about following methods and systems that you may have created but don't necessarily follow. And in previous episodes, we noted that growth starts with management's commitment to change. And that's not usually... A problem, so long as the owner telling story to employees. Now let's examine what holds owners back from being accountable. Often they're roadblocks, both internal and external. Sure, we all run into roadblocks in life and business to stop us from getting to where we want to go. They prevent us from moving to the direction we're headed. And in your business, that may be the growth track you were on. But as we, you know, highway roadblocks, we have a choice. You can either find an alternative route or just wait until the roadblock is removed, which usually could have a large negative impact on getting to your destination on time. And this would be a much easier topic to cover if we only had to discuss the external roadblocks, like COVID became for the food service industry during the shutdowns, or the internal roadblocks, like the challenges created by the soap operas among team members in your company. Ah, Stan, I don't like doing the easy stuff. So we decided to tackle this one which gets us the most pushback during engagements and during our virtual peer advisory group meetings. These are the internal roadblocks, typically of our own making. Things that we specifically do or don't do. Something that we ignore until it becomes a crisis. Or things that just seem to exist. It's the way we always done it. All of which in some way create roadblocks to our progress and our growth. You can't begin to address this without doing an honest assessment, identify the biggest internal roadblocks that are holding you back 
You can't solve a problem until you define it. You can't define it until you get to the bottom of why the problem exists in the first place. That's what caused it or allowed it to exist. Otherwise, you're treating the symptom and not the disease. Take a client I worked for several years ago. The best kept secret in the company was that the owner was being held hostage by an engineer who refused to document anything and therefore had much of the key product design information in his head. I came in as an advisor, and after understanding the situation, talking to the other engineers, we did the unthinkable. We replaced the engineer. Actually, we just pushed him out the door. It was painful, and there were some trying months. But ultimately, we documented and upgraded the product line. A painful process, but one that had the company gone through, they would never have grown. And it taught the owner a valuable lesson. He owned the company. He was accountable for its growth. Yeah, but on the other hand, the robot could be a result of a culture that's kind of like just going through the motions. Value statements hung on the wall, that's not enough. You have to live it every day. What? (laughs) You don't believe in that stuff? Come on. Come on. If it's on the wall, it's got to be true. Exactly. (laughs) If you don't put it into practice every day, it's not really a culture. It's merely an idea for one person. And the culture has to be believed and lived by everyone in the organization every day. You know, I had a client where the frequency of things slipping through the cracks, Lonnie, was so bad that when I was brought in, it almost seemed like it was the norm. Well, guess who was the worst offender? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> too, that was too easy a question. No cigar if he got the right answer. <laughs> so when I introduced the phrase, people do what you inspect, not what you expect, the owner, hint, hint, put a sign on the wall and hung it over his desk in the lunchroom. Exactly what he said. People do what you inspect, not what you expect. The short story is after a lot of work, we greatly reduced the slippage, but it involves several tasks. First of all, we introduced systems and procedures that could reduce slippage due to human error, just plain human error. Secondly, we had to have monthly chats with employees to kind of fill them in, give them a scorecard, which number three is actually keeping a scorecard. Kind of like the safety program you do in manufacturing where you post a number of days that haven't been a job-related accident or incident. And also creating incentives and recognition programs, rewarding positive behaviors and recognizing behaviors that needed a teaching moment, if you will. And lastly, changing the culture. And you talk about culture a lot, Lonnie. First with the owner to demonstrate that he or she walks the talk and is willing to be held accountable in the topic of today. No question. Stan mentioned systems and procedures, and that's important. But be sure to also start by defining roles and responsibilities for everybody in the business. It extends to providing the authority to carry out those roles and responsibilities, and that authority cannot be on a string, where a manager or owner, CEO or whatever, can pull it back in certain situations. It has to be complete. Once these two things are in place, only then can there be true accountability throughout the organization. And that doesn't mean people can't make mistakes with their authority. It means mistakes become teachable moments. Accountability is a fundamental foundation for growth, including your own as the owner, both accountability and professional growth. All right, Lonnie, we've successfully spent the last several minutes avoiding the elephant in the room long enough. So I guess I'll have to be the target of any attacks from our audience. 
on the next point. However, I will spill the beans on both of us, and I suspect that many of our listeners will identify with my comments, so here goes. Most small business owners go into business for many good reasons, including financial motivation, creative expression, passion for their craft or skills or ideas and their creativity, but it's also no less motivated by the desire not to have a boss. <laughs> That's like surprise. However, when allowed to go to the extreme, it can be a huge hindrance to growing your organization. That thing is developing a mindset that they've earned the right to not be held accountable. Think about that as you listen to this if you're an owner. And like we said, this might make you a little uncomfortable, but we're not here to do that, but more just to get you thinking about things that you kind of like don't think about during the normal day. Or worse yet, some people have a kind of infallibility mindset. It's not like they make a proclamation to that fact. It's just far more subtle. It's insidious, in fact. If you're one of these types, you don't need me to lecture you in the many ways it manifests itself. We just ask you, please look in the mirror and ask yourself the question, could this be me? For sure, Stan. You and I will have to admit that we each practiced individually as business consultants, partly because we didn't want anybody other than our clients, perhaps, to be telling us what to do. Now, wait a second, Lonnie. I'm not the pain in the ass. You're the one who's the pain in the ass. Wait, stop it, Stan. You are it. I mean, oh, you're a no bigger question. one then. You're a bigger one. <laughs> then we got and your together. mama wears dirty underwear too. <laughs> then we got together to create a new entity based upon a model that had worked for nearly a quarter century with Stan, and that involved us working as partners. Yikes! Overnight, we had a new level of accountability to each other that we hadn't experienced in a long time. Our respective new boss was a peer who we each knew we could not bullshit and who had skin in the game and had walked in our shoes, namely each other. But what we learned wasn't so much an unwillingness to be accountable, but rather the very thing we mentioned earlier, introducing better systems and procedures to track things. We were kind of like the old phrase, the shoemaker's children who go without shoes. Fortunately, we recognized that after only a few months and took steps to fix it. Well, I, I love you most times. <laughs> <laughs> what day of the week is it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> is this my good day or a bad day? I don't know. We were screaming at each other just before we started uh, this thing. So, it's anyhow. a challenge, isn't it? But let me tell you, the solution we came up with is really quite sophisticated, like an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> the And a schedule that we both, and I want to use the word both, had to adhere to. Be the first to admit it. We're no less subject to overlooking the obvious than our clients. It is, like you said, the shoemaker's children go without shoes. It's not like we never knew the solutions. Come on. But like many of you, we get caught up with just doing it, just like you, especially during our startup phase, that we fail to take the time to put in place in advance all the tools, not some tools, all the tools, really should have had simply because of our enthusiasm, just like you have in the beginning, that first date, that first marriage, to begin and get things done and catch up with the rest later. And here's the point. Sometimes you just have to stop and take a look around and ask yourself, what am I missing to make my life easier? And better yet, ask others whom you trust to take a look around for you. It's amazing how often the answer is within us, even when we're the ones staring right at it. But it sometimes takes another person to see it. 
So in the interest of transparency, it's not unusual that me and Lonnie and many other consultants, for that matter, that we look smart. Oh, man, we're so damn smart. Well, all we're doing is seeing what the clients might have seen if they weren't so close to the trees that they just couldn't see the forest. And I bet you've done that for other employees in your own company. Stan, let's face it. We're all so busy and have so many stimuli coming at us during the day that we don't stop and think. We fail to address the many things that are higher priorities, let alone the minor concerns. The problem with that is it doesn't make many minor items to become a major issue. So don't think we aren't just talking about accountability in terms of attitude. We both know, how would you feel having someone who had a great attitude wrap your parachute, but there were no systems and procedures to assure that they'd wrapped it properly and thoroughly? Can you say you're dead? <laughs> how about we make that parachute your business and you were the one doing the wrapping? Do you think your employees don't deserve to hold you accountable? If they're also depending on you to execute your role as leader and as the hollerer of jump, jump to them. And Lonnie, before you go further, let me just say, I want to say this to our audience. I know from my years of experience, I'm sure Lonnie, owners really do care about their employees. And yet they sometimes don't demonstrate it by their willingness to be held accountable. And that's exactly. a kind of a moral obligation. Let alone well, Stan, I've got a war story to share about this after this brief message. As a small business owner, you face many challenges. You're not alone. What can be even more stressful is not having someone to talk to who doesn't have their own agenda. What if you could talk in depth and confidentially to other small business owners like you on a periodic basis, folks facing the same challenges or who have solved the same problems? The Small Business Virtual Roundtables is the answer for you. Small Business Virtual Roundtables are held monthly for 90 minutes. Membership in each roundtable is limited to 15 people, providing ample time for each member to have their issue addressed by their fellow members. These peer advisory groups are formed to avoid competitive concerns while taking into consideration company size and characteristics that closely match your own business. Need more attention? there is a complimentary 30-minute one-on-one session with the facilitators during the month to seek additional feedback. Monthly membership fees to the Small Business Virtual Roundtables are less than the cost of an hour with your attorney, and this is all done without ever leaving your office or home. Just the time savings of avoiding needless driving is worth the cost. New groups of the Small Business Virtual Roundtables are now being formed on a first-come, first-served basis. Ready to sign up? Head to sbvirtualroundtables.com to receive a complimentary invitation to attend up to three meetings. Again, that's sbvirtualroundtables.com. With Small Business Virtual Roundtables, there's no need to go it alone. And now, back to Lonnie and Stan. Let me tell the story about my favorite client. Perfect example of a person who wants others to get it done, but whoa, not with him. With him, it's always somebody else's problem, somebody else's fault, and the lack of accountability over the years became infallibility. He could never do anything wrong except micromanage his people and drive most of the good ones off. The legend on his own mind. And he never made a mistake. That's it. Other people in his organization did, but not him. 
And believe me, it was hard to get him to see this since he had his business for well over 20 years. But after a painful couple of years, he began to see the light and brought in a strong number two who dealt with all the operational and client issues while he was the keeper of the vision. So Lonnie, we both know that there are listeners out there who are thinking, sure, but we know that owners bullshit themselves and sometimes even their employees. But most time, employees know it, but are afraid to call them on it for obvious reasons. Oh, yeah. As a turnaround specialist during part of my career, I had my share of those owners and managers. That's why I made sure I had a solid contract, concluded to find rules of engagement. But I got to be the gatekeeper to hold everyone accountable. But even when I tried my best to be more like a coach than a boss, it still had its limitations. I wish I had a roundtable group in those times to send owners to so that they could get feedback from peer owners. And I could assure you, based upon what we see at our roundtable meetings, that the members would not hesitate to let another owner know they are guilty of trying to blow smoke up their own asses. But the interesting thing is that these roundtable groups, how they quickly learn to do it in a manner that isn't confrontational, embarrassing, or even necessarily uncomfortable. They learn the power of their questions with no finger wagging, except in one group. Just kidding. That's (laughs) their power. In fact, I must take a bow for both of us as facilitators for establishing that culture in our virtual group. Simply put, we treat each other as adults. Well, maybe not Stan and I all the time, but we treat (laughs) all of the members as adults who gave us permission to hold them accountable in a respectful, empathetic, and realistic manner, with change is the goal. I think you saw this the other day in that roundtable meeting. I had one of my clients actually in there who's been a member, and I often find the roundtable group is a resource for me where clients are giving me pushback. I'll say, well, bring it to the roundtable and see what they say. And either we get different points of view, and maybe I'm not 100% right, maybe they have better ideas, or maybe they reinforce what I've been trying to say to the client over and over again. Just getting validation, even from your trusted advisors, to see if it matches up. In my experiences with the roundtables, I remember having a client who had a general manager, here's a good example, that all the other members were convinced needed to be removed, not even replaced, just the whole slot had to be removed. And this person was absolutely unnecessary, but had brainwashed the owner, it was so obvious, into believing that he couldn't do without her. And by the way, there was no hanky-panky going on between them. And well, it took almost a year, I might say, to get the owner member to pull the trigger. But it took patience and persistence and just seeing how much the group really gave a shit about the member. I think that caring was what earned the trust where the owner just put his blind trust and did what he had to do. I remember having a client that was terrified to increase his pricing schedule for his services. And it wouldn't have mattered if God had given him his blessing to raise his prices or any amount of logic truly terrified at what a loss of sales he might encounter. And it was just like the example you gave. He was a member of a peer advisory group, and he just closed his eyes and relied on blind trust in the group. The short story, he raised his prices as much as 10% on many services and lost no business. That 10% dropped straight to the bottom line. 
that's one, that pricing thing. We hear that a lot at the round tables. Sometimes we just need permission from others to do something that we're kind of thinking we should do, but we're just not 100% certain. So it's just that extra ounce of energy of confidence. Many small business owners think that forming a board of directors, an actual formal board of directors in the way you think of it for a large corporation, or simply talking to their accountants and attorneys is sufficient. And sometimes that's the case, but heck, I practiced for many years as a CPA and often advise my clients on their operational matters. But I'm the first to tell you, why not get feedback from many people who've walked in your shoes, who don't have an agenda other than your best interest, but not to the point of creating even greater confusion. Too many is too few. But it's equally important to make sure that these people have no agenda, as I mentioned before as well. Sometimes even the most ethical and caring professional advisors might be reluctant to put you in the hot seat for a simple fear of losing you as a client. Let's face it. Some people don't like what they hear and they react in kind of strange ways. In fact, I had that happen to me many years ago after more than a year of working with a client and really producing great results. The dollars were there. My client fired me by letter, I might add, because I kept urging them to remove their controller who was absolutely not competent and actually responsible because of misinformation, incorrect information that she was providing. Oh, did I tell you the controller was the wife of one of the owner's sons? The sons were not yet owners, but the father and mother were. <laughs> is this a war story or? True confession. <laughs> <laughs> the lesson, the teachable moment, Lonnie, is. A teachable moment. Blood is blood, baby. Yes, it is. Yes, <laughs> we it all is. know as consultants, you're only as good as your last good deed. Exactly. Exactly. But for whatever consolation, Alani, at least I got an apology five years later when they said to me, you really did tell us the right thing because she actually did wind up leaving and getting a career out of the company. I think it got so big. I think I was on the right track. And it just, they just had to just see the consistency. At least I created top of mind awareness of the fact she was the cause of the problems we're having. I mean, the point that Stan is making here is really important. You don't do yourself any favors having people who might just tell you what you want to hear. You need people who can be and will be independent thinkers without another agenda than your best interests. And so what are your choices? Well, there's several choices out there. There are a myriad of price ranges, and they're almost different in every market. And we're not talking about your local networking group that major in passing business cards around or minor in business development. Now, rather you want something with structure and a purpose to help each other with similar challenges in different non-competitive businesses. With that said, let me give you some broad criteria you should consider in any peer-to-peer advisory group that you consider. Here's a short list of the criteria that should be present in any group you join, but it also comes down to you get out of it what you put into it. Members should be segmented by size and geography, including no directly competing peers, vendor, client relationships, or conflicts of interest. That goes without saying. It's a commitment to the group that's critical. Beyond making membership payments, et cetera, the group has to demand regular participation by their peers. This is the only way members and the overall group receives real benefit. Maximum confidentiality has to be a priority. What's said here stays in the group, even more than Las Vegas or the confessional for that matter. The group has to encourage a spirit of collaboration, maintain 
positive group dynamics, even if that means removing members who are negatively influencing the group. And lastly, be sure there are experienced facilitators, somebody there to keep the trains running, not just show how smart they are, worse, are soliciting business. Lonnie, just to reiterate your one point about participation, isn't it amazing how we see from meeting to meeting, we could have as few as one person posing a question to a group, and yet the large majority, almost 90% usually at any meeting, of members are in attendance, even though they knew they didn't have a question to pose. The commitment to being there for each other is profound, and that's what makes no it question. successful. And that showed up yesterday in a physical roundtable where one individual- A guest. A guest spent 45 minutes getting somewhat grilled. On the other hand, just people asking him questions, it began to get him thinking in a particular way. And I think it was so profound that he made it kind of clear he'd be back. So that's a good thing. After 24 years of doing this, it's just amazing the level of commitment. We have members who've been in the group since the beginning, 24 years. So ultimately, the goal of any successful peer group should be to foster a trusted and safe environment. Safe meaning no ridicule. We laugh with you, not at you. We ask questions. We don't give directives. So that everyone in the group has the opportunity to share, to learn, and to grow. And we learn by listening to other people's issues, not just our own. And let's face it, the expression, it's lonely at the top, isn't just about how you have a feeling of isolation as an owner. And how it can be present for some small business owners, even when they have a large complement of managers, valued employees, and trusted advisors for that matter. So it should also be not about having people, or making sure I should say, people walking in shoes and with whom you've had a created and trusted relationship without bias, but with constructive candor, constructive candor. They can bounce ideas off of and with a high probability of a meaningful resolution or at least a next step. And that's the point. We don't always solve all the problems right away, but at least there's a next step. So it might take several meetings before the person goes from raising the issue to saying it's completely resolved, but the commitment to helping them get there so they're not alone, that lonely at the top thing. But even with that, one of the biggest benefits is exactly what Deceptoad has been about, being held accountable. Heck, members even praise each other when they report their actions based upon the feedback that they're being given, even if it doesn't create miraculous results. They're just happy to get the opportunity. What it is, is it's a mutual respect. I mean, one of the most important requirements to growing your business as an owner is being willing to be accountable. And there are many reasons this doesn't happen, even when an owner is willing. Sometimes the causes are Internal, sometimes they're external. To recap, there's several ways to achieve accountability, which is just one more form of walking the talk as an owner. And these are manifested in systems and procedures, reporting, goal setting, and assessment. But one surefire method is being part of a peer advisory group who not only can help you with accountability, but also get you past some roadblocks that you may encounter along the way. Once again, we appreciate the time you've spent with us, and even more importantly, the feedback you've provided. We hope you'll be one of our guests as many as three times free 
at one of our next upcoming roundtables. All you have to do is go to www.sbvirtualroundtables.com and request an invitation. That way we can make sure you're in a group where there will be no competitors and where we will be a good fit based upon the criteria that I outlined just moments ago. From Lonnie Shambi and Stan Simpkins, we appreciate your attendance and enjoy bringing this podcast to you. Have a great day. You've been listening to the Small Business Wake-Up Call, the podcast providing eye-opening insights and perhaps a caffeine high to better run your business, delivered in Stan Simpkins and Lonnie Shambi's own unique style. Head on over to sbvirtualroundtables.com where you can connect with Lonnie and Stan, subscribe to the show, find more resources, and check out their monthly 90-minute virtual roundtables. Thanks for listening to the Small Business Wake-Up Call.